everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Debbie, and I'm coming to you from sunny Dallas today. It's a beautiful day in paradise, I've been told, back in Florida. But actually, the sun is shining. It's coming up over the horizon here, and it's going to be a cool morning in Dallas, but not as cold as where my guest is. My guest, Ilona is coming to us from Minneapolis, and it's pretty chilly up there. So, Ilona, are you with me? Yes, Deb. It's such an honor to be with you all. Well, I'm really excited to have you here as my special guest, and I'm, I like to tell people how we've met, and it, because we haven't, it hasn't been a very long time. You and I met in Dallas here a couple mm-hmm. of months ago. We came out to, to uh, do some interviews with Michael Butler and Beyond Publishing, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and the adventures of your writing and, and all those fun, fun things that you're doing right now. But what I'd like to start the show off with, I'm not going to read your bio because we're going to get into your life. And I was reading through some of the things that you've been doing, and, and you've had a lot of different lives, like many of us, and it's really fun. So... Can you go back in time a little bit and just tell me where you grew up as a child and a little bit about that growing up? Uh, It would be uh, such a pleasure for me to share with the audience about uh, a little bit about Georgia. Georgia is not a state. I will be speaking today about Georgia, the country. And I always like to tell people that we were first, and we have an outside joke or inside joke in my country. We usually say that the Georgia, the state, actually belongs to us because we didn't have a room in our place, so we moved it to America. So <laughs> as we say that we own to Georgia, but the Republic of Georgia, I grew up in a communist country. Back then it was, it belonged to communists, it ran by the communist regime, and I encountered lots of the thinking of that time. Not necessarily I agreed with that. So Georgia is a very small country, and it's a very ancient country, and it's uh, in a crossroad of the Europe and Asia pretty much. In the southeast, it's borders with Azerbaijan. In other countries, it's hard to pronounce, in other small country. And from the south, it borders with Armenia and Turkey. From north, we have our neighbors are Russian, 
So we are a big, big country that I call myself that we are surrounded by is Turkey from south and uh, Russia north. And we have a story about uh, Turkey. And of course, I tell everybody and share about my heritage that I am a direct descendant of Armenian genocide survivors who flew, who fled from the Turkey and whose grandparents have been beheaded in front of my grandparents by the Ottoman Empire Turkish assault. And um, my grandparents, they were given, not given, they, they had the miracle and opportunity and some kind of uh, the chance to run away from it after they witnessed their parents being beheaded. So my grandfather, great-grandfather was given his two-year-old son, his two-year-old brother who was wrapped around his chest and a five-year-old brother who was, he was supposed to be holding and running with him. But alongside, while he was running with two siblings, one around his chest, another one holding, he lost his five-year-old brother. And, in, and he, he made a crucial decision at that moment. And as a nine-year-old running away for his life, running to nowhere, running from nowhere, not knowing what to expect from life, what's to come, he had to make the most important decision in his entire life. And I cannot comprehend right now how in the world nine-year-old old brain um, boy could make such a detrimental, a crucial decision in his life. So he thought to himself, should I go back? and rescue my five-year-old brother, and hopefully we all get saved, and we all will be living, or should I keep running? And we will be, both of us are saved for sure. So in his nine-year-old brain, he made a decision to keep running. So he left his five-year-old brother to death. So Turkish Empire soldiers have been beheaded, his brother as well. Oh. And um, I don't know how can a boy with, um, with making such a decision uh, continue his life, not, not you know, uh, blame himself all his life. I'm sure he never had a therapy. He never went through any of this. Um, special counseling sessions. Back then, you know, we didn't have that therapies. It, it was a Western thinking. It wasn't our thinking. Our thinking was the way you feel, you have to speak out. And that's how I grew up. Uh, we, we were not, you know, um, big fans of therapies. And we think the ther therapies are not effective. And even my children, when they saw how we react and how we respond on our life's circumstances over there are not different the way the Western world is responding on circumstances. So that was part of me growing up. But my grandfather, instead of being bitter in life, instead of crucifying himself every day for the decision that he had made of that he let his brother to die for death and not knowing what would it have happened, yet he go, went back and rescued him. She instead channeled this energy and, and helping his generation to come to be a victorious 
people, uh, people of the uh, you know world changers or change makers, uh, dream uh, makers. So we will pursue with our dreams because he was actually rescued in the border of Georgia, my country I was born, by American missionaries. And he mm-hmm. never had opportunity to say thank you to American missionaries because he was only nine years old and he didn't speak their language. And I believe that uh, me being here in America as an immigrant, uh, I felt that his spirit lives in me. And, uh, and I, all my life, since I've been in America for over 18 years, have this uh, mission to thank Americans to thank America for their spirit, for their generosity, for their, for their thinking of others always and put others first. Um, and uh, that's why I feel that um, I contribute to this country with my whole heart. And even though I was born in Georgia, and that's my fatherland, America is my home. Uh, well, your story just has me speechless. I, I'm visualizing your grandfather and, and what that decision, and I just I can't imagine as a child. Um, and as you say, though, it's I've lived overseas, and I think we appreciate what we have here in the United States when we leave it and then come back. Mm-hmm. And I, I my friends that are from out of the country have the thought that you do it's it's they're very appreciative of here and you could the whole family could have been really bitter about what happened and there was a part where here mm-hmm. though that you uh and i'm looking at you as an american and you're a very pretty blonde and you know looks like the american dream i know your story now though and i understand that you you feel that you grew up as a minority in that country and you face a lot of difficulties Growing up, can you kind of explain to us that? that uh, I was I grew up with uh, the uh, um, like a half Ukrainian because my mom is from Ukraine. She was not born in Georgia, and half Armenian, who my father is Armenian. He was born in Georgia because of the Ottoman Empire. They, you know, my my grandparents have settled in that country and rebuilt pretty much the Georgia in like Tbilisi, the capital of it. So uh, when I was growing up, actually when I was born, I already faced the rejection by my dad. Uh, being the firstborn of the firstborn uh, and being a, a girl, it's a little bit of unheard of in my culture. Wow. So, and therefore my dad didn't want me when he found out I was a girl. He wanted a boy. And I was rejected by my grandparents, his parents, because my skin tone, my eyes, my hair were light, did not resemble that culture with the olive skin tone, darker hair, darker eyes. And they were embarrassed of me. They never rocked me to sleep, never fed me. Uh, they were embarrassed to even acknowledge me as their first, you know, for, you know first the uh, a girl, a firstborn of their firstborn, and they never, you know, they had five grandkids, including my, they're all girls. They always counted four. They always disclosed me from the count. And um, they would mock me, my relatives would mock me ugly because I, again, did not resemble the cultural uh, facial features, the skin tone, the hair color. Even when I was about to be baptized, 
uh, we went to Armenian church. The priest refused to give me a sec- uh, my Christian name. I have two names. He refused because he said, she's not an Armenian. So my dad had to prove that she, you know, I'm his daughter. He tried to explain that his mom, that my mom is Ukrainian from different culture. However, I am Armenian because it's important that father is the one that acknowledges that. So he refused to give me the second name. So he gave, even though I was the second one in a line to be received the, uh, the gift, that name, the second name in life, I was the last one. And I was crying when he gave me the name because the name that he gave me was the name that I hated my entire life. But yet he didn't know that he made me a favor because the second name that he gave me actually means white. My first given name means Ilona, which is happiness or carrying the happiness with light. And my name uh, turned to be a prophetic name during the, um, during the time of war that we went through during the collapse of the Soviet Union. So yes, I endured lots of the ethnic discrimination just a little bit. I was not, uh, I was denied entering the Georgian universities because of my Russian last name. I didn't look like them to begin with now, plus I had the Russian last name and uh, with Armenian roots. So it was just a little bit of discrepancy between back then uh, Russia and Georgia um, after the fall of the Soviet Union. But whatever enemy plans for bad, you know, God always uses for the best. That helped me to enter to the beauty pageant and prove my relatives that I am actually not ugly because I won. <laughs> and uh, despite of the, you know, being denied entering universities, I got admitted with a full scholarship, including my clothes and everything, and the tickets to that place, to Europe for two years. And I received my education uh, there. So, and uh, that's why I took every single no, every single closed door in my life and channeled that and made me determine whether I really want it or whether I should really think and live my life according to opinions of others of myself. I have a quick question here. How did your mother feel through all this? Did she ever say anything or did you ever feel... I mean, you must have had someone, and I'm hoping it was her, that was the safe person in the family. Was she ostracized by the family also? She was also rejected, and she was not given a kiss or hug or accepted by my grandparents either. They were blaming my dad stating him, couldn't you have and found the Ukrainian person locally because she already knew our culture, language, what we are about to and such. So my mom was actually, was mocked a lot. And her, uh, you know, the, because we, the traditional, you have to live under the same roof with the, with the in-laws and also mm-hmm. with the brother and his family. So she was, um, she, she went through the, let me say, hell with that. But she said, the, and she is the, the reason who I am today, because she always taught me never I mean, never repay evil with evil. Life doesn't work this way, Ilona. So instead, even though she was tormented by the relatives, they called her uh, the 
how they called her in Armenian, uh, you are the dog, you're homeless dog in Armenian. Mm-hmm. You're homeless dog. All the, or her, like, uh, beginning. But, um, and she didn't know what they were saying behind her back because she didn't understand the language, the culture. Everything was new to her. But my dad said, if you ever going to hurt my wife, you're going to forget about me, that I even exist, that I am part of you, that I'm your son. So therefore, they were, quote, of quote, tolerating my mom. And she learned Armenian. She, she learned the cooking. She learned the culture. And uh, even though my, my grandparents never acknowledged her as the, as the mother, as, as, as a um, as, as a wife of uh, their firstborn child, in 10 years after she was their uh, daughter-in-law, they finally said to her, uh, right before my, my grandfather passed away, he went to the bathroom and she gave, he gave her a kiss on the forehead and said to her, I will never, I'm going to cry, I will never ever, trade you with a hundred Armenian, uh, Armenian daughter-in-law. You mean to me more than a daughter. And after that, everything has changed in her life and in our life. They fell in love with her. She became like a woman to brag about. She became a corner store of our generation, of our families. All Armenian, all our relatives, they fell in love with her. They called her sister. They called her daughter. They called her saint because they felt her, her heart. And that's why I'm telling you that because of her example, how she, she lived her life, showing us that, no, uh, don't do that. Um, it's, there's a different formula in life. Um, there's a different way of thinking. There's a different way of living in life, and that's the by faith in in the God who is the one that holds the revenge for others. And she looked at somebody as um, always as another split image of God. Yes, we all human. We make mistakes. We but she allowed God to work these things out for herself. And like I said, when you channel this energy of no and all the rejection and allow God uh, to work through that no, closed doors, being called ugly dog, homeless dog, being called ugly, being rejected, entering to universities. And, uh, and, and this something, some miracle happens in your life. You allow the divine power enter and interfere and paving this path for your life. And that's why I teach my children, I teach through my books, that power of rejection and power of living your life through different formula and allowing God to really provide the healing and path. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking of other people in my life that have experienced similar things. And it's very interesting. It's that generation. Uh, my, My husband's mother went through that same rejection with her mother-in-law. And it led to Mm. my father-in-law basically telling his parents, I'm choosing my wife over you. And he Mm. had to do that, unfortunately. And and that, I have talked to my husband about, you know, 
time that he spent with his grandparents and he actually missed a lot of that their life towards the end because they didn't accept his mom and that's mm-hmm. really difficult that affects multiple generations and and then I think back yep. to my own my own grandmother who and my dad will be listening to this uh, replay but my father was in dental school and was on a way to a great career and my grandmother just did not a- approve of my dad. And I know mm. that really hurt my mom. It just, and she's turning 87 in a couple weeks. Dad's 92. I, they still talk about that. So there's a part of us that needs to forgive, but there's a part that hasn't forgotten. Uh, and I think mm. we need to use that part, as you do in teaching your children, to not l- allow them to act that way towards others, you know, to get past that. Because it's mean. It's just a mean spirit. And it's tough. It's tough to live with. So I love that your your um, your mom turned into that example, that light. And that shows true strength. That is just lovely. And you certainly have done it. Oh, my gosh, with you know being rejected from school. And then it's kind of like you've turned around and said, well... I've done it in spite of the rest of you, and what grace you're doing it with now. So you, you mentioned that, that you're, you're, you're children, and you're divorced now. That process, it's very difficult. How did you take your life um, as a new single mom and make that positive? Because that can be a really devastating transition in life. It is. No matter if you really stand behind your, uh, your choice or decision of uh, making, making this, uh, this call, you still uh, have to go. The transition is different for every single person. And uh, I, I use and channel this energy. Maybe it's a guilt. Maybe it's, oh, what if? Did I do enough? Uh, did I make a right decision or not? I use Every single thing that were in my head that probably did not come from from God, but um, I used this uh, this negative uh, you know energy and turned into the positive thing, and I wrote the book, my first book that I called The Opium of the Almond Tree, where I actually started to share about my life journey and I wanted to connect with this woman or with this person who is bankrupt in spirit, who has been maybe determined in their life and were trying to make this journey more worthy for themselves. So I empower them, I inspire them because this energy while I was writing the book, did something, something divine in my life. And uh, I, I felt that I have produced the masterpiece of this, my first book. And I used my, like I said, my, this, this time to channel into producing something positive because I wanted my kids to live with a legacy that, yes, the life will never be uh, easy and that every single choice that we make is, you know, eventually going to impact uh, the generation to come because the word decide is usually combined with the two words. The means do and side means to kill. That's why word 
pesticides, you know, genocide, right? It means general, you know, generational killing of the ethnic killing and stuff. So that's why what decide means do or die moment. So every time we make a decision is actually a do or die moment. So even like the simple decision as we think what to eat is going to impact us tomorrow how we're going to feel. Are we going to wake up with a bloated stomach? Are we going to wake up, you know, refreshed instead? So everything that we do today is going to give us the food tomorrow, whether it's a positive or negative. So I channeled and planned, planned all of all of this that I went through, my thoughts, my emotions, I planted into my book. And my kids have read it. They, uh, they learn a lot about their mom. My friends have read it. They've learned more about determination, how not to give up. The people who don't know me reached out to me and said to me, thank you so much for being so vulnerable in your and authentic in your book and giving us not just your insight, but also some kind of value that we took that we can apply into our lives. And of course, everybody's journey is different. Everybody in life is, deserves to be happy but everybody's journey to a happiness is completely different. And, uh, and that's why we appreciate our lives when we are very determined to get and we're very hungry to get what we need in our lives. And uh, I always say that um, we have to protect our identity. It's hard not to allow somebody else to influence that because the voices that we hear in our head could potentially shape us who we are and completely detour us from who God intended us to be. And that's why I'm talking to the warriors in all my books. I'm talking to determined and bankrupt in spirit. I want to challenge, challenge, equip, and empower every single one of them who is going to come and flip the pages of my books. Well, I can feel the power in it right now. And I've talked uh, recently, I've had a couple of authors on the show and a publisher. And I, we talked a lot about writing our story and the importance of writing our story. I, I'm going to get your book. I'm going to read it. I, I haven't had a chance to do that. Uh, but how did, you, how did writing the book make you feel? Were you able to, I mean, I know when I, read, when I wrote my book, I was able to release a lot of negative energy and emotions around the story. And when I did that, then the story became a story and it wasn't me. I wasn't being defined by what happened. How, how, what, are, what are your feelings about when, when you're writing your book? It helped me to uh, use this process and channel into the detox. I call it my detoxification process. From everything that I went through life, for, from everything that I have built my identity with, the false identity, because I tell to everybody that opinions are just like an armpit. Everybody's got them, but most of them stink. So I have <laughs> you know, maybe adopted those opinions of others of myself and, sh- and trying to shape of who I am. I tried to fit in to their standards of their lives, 
of who I am. And it didn't work this way. I started to feel numb. I started to feel hopeless and helpless in the process because inside of me, I knew this is not the girl who was meant to be. And that was the process of detoxification, first of all, of removing every toxic, every thought of everything that I have been encountered through my life, of the voices in, in, in my head that were telling me who I should be, that this is not enough, I am not this, I should be that. I'm like, absolutely not. Let me declutter everything from my life and start over. So writing the book actually was uh, challenging myself, facing it first, because all this life I have been hiding behind it. So in my book, I actually faced it. I challenged myself to face every ugly moment, every embarrassing moment of betrayals of, from my um, own um, f- best friends who have betrayed me and turned me in into the media after I, I, I be, uh, turned the title of the Miss uh, you know, Congeniality in my beauty pageant. She turned me into the media stating that my dad had sold the car to bribe the judges for me to win. So it was excruciating moment of embarrassment. I didn't know what to do. They removed my title. They disqualified me from everything. And my life was over at that moment. So I, I faced all those fears. I faced every pain. I faced every rejection while I'm writing my book. And you know that it helped me to breathe. It allowed me to, to actually gain that strength. You know, I was hiding behind my pain thinking if people do not see how vulnerable I am, that it does pain me, it does bother me, that that's when my strength began to grow, when I faced my challenges, when I faced my past, when I faced that past that was actually did not let me grow and uh, you know, going to the future of who I could potentially be and who I know I am today. So, and uh, even when I... Uh, when I re- uh, faced that, things started to change completely. Think, things starting to equip me. I started developed. I started to grow. I started to, you know, master. You know, allow God to use me as a masterpiece. I looked at myself the way God looks at me because He says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am pleased with you, my daughter. Uh, were there any times that you lost? friends or maybe family members because of the challenge of because of the 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 path you took absolutely that is a part of the process of growth and uh, actually um, God gave me this um, this like a revelation moment he said that there are people in your life that come and go for a purpose for you to grow, not to be a beater, but to become a better and stronger and to become more courageous because that's what will shape you, your identity. So in the process, I actually start praying to God, God, please remove anybody from my life, any people, uh, places, and things from my you. life that are standing in front of me and my growth and my relationship and you. But I also tell, uh, told him, please give me this courage, give me this strength, because saying no to these people, 
places and things will be painful for me. And God did not only provide the strength and healing, he gave me the courage and this joy in this process that eliminating and saying no to these people, places, things. I even said no to my job. I quit my job after, after working there for over 20 years because I felt that I did not grew anymore, that there is other revenue in my life that I can, I need for me to grow and trust God more and more in my life. So saying no, it's actually part of your life and actually part of your growth. Saying no, that means saying yes to yourself. And that's the courage to, you know, say yes to no. You know, that's the power when we say yes to no. And it's it's not oxymoron. Well, and it's not a selfish thing. Taking no. self-care is, is not selfish. It's so important. And it's something that many, many of us who, who are givers to others, who like, you know, don't, uh, find it uncomfortable sometimes to receive. I mean, I've, I've heard that the energy of giving and receiving is the same. And if you are not a receiver, you're blocking off someone else's ability to give. And... Giving of your story will help so many people understand you better, understand what you went through, and hopefully understand that that path is not something they should be on, you know, especially the, the, the mean nastiness. It has come from the past, and, and I think as generations, we, we hang on to some of the, the past hurts. It doesn't serve us at all to hold on to those past hurts. Um, Actually, it, it hurts us to hold on to those hurts. So you've written multiple books now. How did you do that? Uh, I contribute that to COVID. And uh, sometimes <laughs> when uh, life, yeah, sometimes when life doesn't go our way, which COVID was completely change of everything in the world. And I call it as a World War III because it completely either killed, captivated, you know, d- you know, destroyed the people, destroyed how we were thinking, you know, it took away our freedom in one way or another. So I uh, channeled again this negative energy. Okay, what what is happening? Because it's a fear of unknown that we all have faced. And that's why I use that, oh my God, just use this and do something spectacular with it. So my mind will not be occupied on something negative. Rather, I can use it for something positive. So I use that uh, to produce the book, my first book, my foundational book, is the, my uh, Opium of the Almond Tree, where I share my memoir. I use that that uh, to give birth to the rest of the books that are more narrowed and channeled to development of people, uh, and they are um, they, they. I really uh, speak about the process of uh, true happiness. And then some books are speaking of the process of the true success. And some people usually think success is all about money, but it's, I, I discovered something else that I share. I had the privilege to co-author the books with, um, with some other very uh, special uh, authors uh, in my life um, that I really looked up to them. So I was very privileged and honored to do so. I have developed during the COVID time my YouTube channel that uh, now it's growing and I'm using and uh, interviewing more powerful 
influencers, change makers, the world shakers in my channel that we empower the world one soul at a time. So that is um, really the hunger that was inside of me that I didn't know existed. And like I said, every time that the door has been closed in front of me, I feel that there's another breath of fresh air is being developed in my life, something that I had no idea I had. Yet it wasn't for COVID. Who knew I would become an author, the best-selling author, and developing and starting to interview the most amazing people in the world, that uh, so many projects would come through me and such. So it's all about um, how we channel ourselves. There's a lot of people that became better, better in the, during the time of COVID. They use this negative energy to hurt others, to, to make them feel the way that they are felt during this um, time and season of uh, loss, you know, devastation, determined, you know, uh, depression during COVID. But um, it's all about really finding that voice inside of you and really like shaping you even more and more in who you are and not to be afraid of your identity uh, because the, um, the ad- um, adversities cannot shape you. Uh, cannot break you. It actually shapes you. The pain does not break you either. Uh, It actually molds you into becoming the the better and stronger. Yes, you may have scars, but scars are not there to to make you look ugly. Scars are there to remind you that you could have been even in a worse situation and worse shape, but because of the scars actually protecting people. And uh, you are growing right now. Uh, I have endured like two uh, two surgeries without anesthesia. And you know what, Deb? I do not remember those pain, even though I, I thought I would die on the table. Uh, I remember even the pain that we receive, these emotional pains are even more deeper inside of us than the physical pain that we receive or encounter in our life. And that's why the biggest thing that I want to encourage people to do is to face it, like speak it out, Speak about, speak to your pain, your emotional pain. Call it out. Challenge your pain. When you face your pain, what really bothers you from your past, maybe even from your present, that's when you say, I'm not going to let you control me anymore. I am in charge here. Claim it back. Claim your identity back. Claim your power of words back. And claim, your, um, claim who you are. Claim your voice. Well, you're definitely a stand up and speak up type of, type of gal. And as you were telling your story, you know, hiding behind that smile, that was my whole mission with the woman behind the smile. Is that so mm-hmm. many of us put up that smile and pretend that everything's okay when we're just hiding. And it's not until you 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 challenge what was your, what you were hiding uh, and say, hey, that wasn't that's not me. I'm better. And I look at you and what you've done, and I'm thinking, oh, what an incredible woman that has just overcome so many odds, which many people would have said, would have let just take over their life. You know, you took it, like they say, the bull by the horn, and you said no to no's, or you said yes to no's, and you've moved on, and it's just amazing. Well, of all the books that you've authored, what is your favorite and why? My first one. Okay. My first one because it challenged me to face my fear. 
And I, this is the thick book. It's a, over 300 pages. It's about 333 pages. And I, and I, that book, because I spent the most time writing this book, I had through the devast- went through the devastation, even doubts. Do I really need to write this? Who re- does anybody going to read my book? So there's so many things. So that book challenged me to face it. It, be- it made me become a conqueror. It made me to, to see myself as a masterpiece of God, face my, my ugliest moments in life, and really helped me to truly forgive. Because the forgiveness, it's, I believe, is a true answer to moving forward. Because forgiveness is a gift that we give to ourselves. Because sometimes we think that if unforgiveness, uh, we, we usually hurt others. No. Unforgiveness is just like a poison that we are taking in hope of somebody else is going to die. So, and that's why I also teach the power of forgiveness because that's when you truly start to control that situation. You are no longer going to let that situation to control you any longer. You are in charge. So forgiveness is such a powerful tool. It deliberates you. It sets you free. It makes you stronger. It makes you it, take, it, it be, makes you become a warrior, that champion that you always have been. That it's just a great tool that not everybody speaks on, not everybody like usually focuses on. So that book, book usually deliberated me, delivered me, set me free from who I thought I was and allowed me to see myself of who I am and how God sees me. And I attribute all my who I am right now, my hunger, my determination, my, my persuasion into this book. And that's, that's the, the foundation of my rest of my book. So how can people get a hold of your book? It's called Opium of the Almond Tree. Where can they find that book? Mm-hmm. They can find it in, on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. They are on Target. They are in eBay. I think it's everywhere right now. So they are selling, reselling my book, and they're more than welcome to go through my website. It's ipresilience.com where I share more about um, my services, how I help people. Maybe I, there's any way I can be at help to somebody who needs um, some kind of um, hope, uh, some clarity in their lives and such. So, but yeah, my books are in Amazon right now, and I'll be very honored to know that it really helped somebody in their lives. Well, and I, I, with, with speaking to other authors, you know, sometimes people say, well, I wrote my book because I'm going to make a million dollars. Well, that can happen. It it's not necessarily the, the reason to write a book. Uh, I found that many reasons, uh, I just wrote an article the other day about writing a book, and it was, you, you can write it for a legacy. You know, right now, your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, are going to read your book, and they're going to know about Elona. They're going to know the struggles you went yep. through, of what your family did. That's the legacy. And I found if that doesn't make a dollar, it was worth the time. Now, if you, can Correct. Make, if you can make a living out of it, even better. But it's what we, the reason we do it is not for the money. The reason is to be of help 
support to others because someone's going to read that book and it's going to help them with something they might not even know is a problem in their life or you know something that's holding them back but they're going to they're going to feel that the spirit of the book i mean i i already see it just by looking at at the book looking at you i can feel that there's great spirit in that book and i'm going to get it when i get off the show but <laughs> yes thank, thank you deb that's true that's so true well, and it's fun because when we were in Dallas together, we really didn't get a chance to, when we were doing all the interviews and stuff. And there was a, there was a lot of fun and activity there, but I think where we connected was sitting down at lunch. And those mm-hmm. are the times that I found, especially with the show, I may not know a guest, but as I research who they are and hear about their stories, it makes us so much closer as friends and as you know eternal families that there's a reason that we are all put on earth there's a reason why we go through the things we go through we may not see it at the time we may be bitter about things at the time but looking back and looking at this eternal perspective whatever happened to us was necessary in our life I like to call it our life's quilt you know that little patch Mm -hmm. was a bump Mm -hmm. but it it created the beauty in our quilt and that's Mm -hmm. what I see you know, the troubles that you had with the whole family, the generational things have, I see, made you such a strong, powerful woman speaker um, with courage to not let those no's hold you back. And I honor you for that. I, I, that's something that we need to emulate more so that our young girls, our daughters, our granddaughters can see that and say, I can be a strong woman, but I can also be a, a, a gentle, kind person, not aggressive. I don't think any of us are, want to be aggressive. But we do want to have a strong message of get your power back, stand up, speak up for yourself, but learn about others. And you know that's what I find with our, our grandparents and grand, great-grandparents. That generation was possibly, not possibly, I know ours were very judgmental about others that were different. So the only way we're going to get past the differences is to understand why we're different. Because in the, in the mm-hmm. end, we're not different. You know, we're, we're basically, like you say, sons and daughters of, I call it, a Heavenly Father who loves us. And yeah. we're so similar that we make our differences mm-hmm. separate us. And how do you... I know, I know how you're going to do, how you, what you're going to say about this, but how do you, on a daily basis, make a difference in other people's lives? Um, this is what I want people to to know: is to really look at themselves as a masterpiece of God. Uh, this is not going to be easy. There's a lot of people have a self-doubt because they have been living their lives through the opinions of others and their standards. Even when you go to work, what are you told? How many times are you being praised at work for what you're really good at? No, instead, you're hearing all this negative. You didn't do your budget right. You made so many mistakes. Why are you late? Why did you not take the lunch or break on a time? So you hear all these negative things. And the world is not teaching us the right thing. What I have discovered and what I, how I live my life right now is that I do not wake up trying to develop what I am not good at. I'm actually waking up in my life trying to develop what I am good at. 
So because our world is teaching us, you need to develop your weaknesses. You need to, uh, you know, learn what you're bad at and, you know, go and, uh, you know, do some, something about it. You know, take a courses, take a class, get, get education about that. But more you do it, you realize how much you hate it. So that's why uh, we are not being praised or acknowledged with what we are good at. We are, it's so easy to manipulate what, with the people, manipulate people by telling them what they are suck at, what they are not um, great at, and that's what kills us on daily basis. So I am here to tell on daily basis to people and myself that develop what makes you happy. If you like to do the producing the videos for people to see, do it. My son says, Mom, I want to be an artist, but I know it's not popular. I'm like, if it makes you happy, I will encourage you with my 100% because, because there is no price to a happiness, to the self-satisfaction to the self-development, to the self-aha moment, to the self-identity. That's when the true strength is really comes in. So that's why I want to challenge people. Do not listen to those voices when it tells you, hey, if you do not know how to do the budget, go to the classes, do this budget so you will learn how to do it. You may learn how to do it, but are you going to be happy doing the working on the budgets, working on something like that on a daily basis? Is it really going to make you who you are? today and such working with numbers because I cannot stand the numbers even though I was the A plus student at school I was great at, at the math I was really good at this I hated it uh, I entered to the university right now and took the uh, IT as part of my you know course but I realized it's so I, I will develop it I realized in the process that how much I hated it so when the world is saying to us, get better in what you're, you're not good at, that's the wrong mentality. And um, even though I finished my bachelor's with a 4.0 GPA, despite of hating that what I was learning about, you know, about this IT, I still was determined to finish it. And, um, and the biggest, uh, biggest asset that we are right now uh, in the biggest, like, you know, the real estate piece is the cemetery because that's where the biggest minds are buried. That's where all the dreams are buried. What if I could have? What if I should have? So, so many talents are buried there because people did not pay attention to, to these brilliant geniuses out there. So that's why I want people to know, I want you to love what are you doing and do what you love because it's priceless. Life is short and life is a gift to you. God gave it to you for you to enhance, to, you know, in, you know, enjoy it. If God wanted you to be the mastermind and IT guy just like everybody else, what's the point? He made you different for a reason. He doesn't want you to be the IT genius. He wants you to be the creative genius. He doesn't want you to be and in, in, spend the time in front of the computers. He wants you to spend time encouraging and speaking to people to, in, you know, change their lives in this way. So I want people to really love who, who they are and find that niche inside of them. Find that fire that is inside of them and rekindle it because it is inside of you. It is inside of you because God had given to you when he gave the breath in your life. You do not have to be like everybody else. That's the boring. That's, that's the cloning. 
God made you individually for who you are on purpose because you are fearfully and uniquely made, uh, you know, crafted individually. He, you have his thumbprint in your life, and it's individual. You will never have the same thumbprint, right, when we do the thumbprint. There's no identical thumbprint in the world like you, you know, and God doesn't want you to be just like everybody else. Be who you are. Be who, what makes you happy today. Well, amen to that. <laughs> what a great end. What, I mean, our show has just flown by. I knew that was going to happen. But as you were talking, I was sitting here thinking, you know what? That's why we have teams. That's why we're not supposed to be alone. We're, we're to put ourselves around good people, supportive people that will meld with us that you know our my talent might be one thing yours is something we overlap in many ways but don't try to do everything by ourselves bring in other people that Mm -hmm. can help us out and free up our time to do the things that we love like you were talking about the videos I love making the video replays of our shows does it take a lot of time absolutely do I make any money Mm -hmm. off of it no not at all but the joy (laughs) of doing it and reliving the show for me is so much fun and then I love to share it because I want to uplift the, my guests because they bring such joy to me. So, Elona, thank you so much for your time today and for the – I'm really glad we met in Dallas and I'm sure we're going to see each other uh, more as we go forward because we're both working with Michael Butler and Beyond Publishing yes. and a lot of the things that they're doing. I was on a call the other night with Mark Victor Hansen and I went right out and I got that the uh, millionaire book and I'm thinking – Oh my gosh, my friend, my guest last week made a million dollars in a minute because she bought a lottery ticket. Now, I don't buy a lottery <laughs> ticket, so it won't happen. But what yes. are the things that we do to make our lives worth a million dollar life? And for me, it's talking to folks like you. And it's been just mm-hmm. lovely. So again, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you and where they can find your book. Um, please connect with me uh, through the uh, IG, it's uh, IP Resilience, or through the website IPResilience.com. And if they want to connect with me via uh, Facebook, it's Ilona Baronakova um, there. So, and that's where my books are also part of that uh, journey, part of that um, social media, uh, you know, uh, platforms as well. So I will be more than happy to connect with another person and, uh, you know, get you know, stronger together. Well, that's wonderful, and she's got her YouTube channel. There's so many fun things, and I, I give you a lot of credit for putting yourself out there like that for a little girl that grew up in the Republic of Georgia with so many trials and, and tribulations to to shine your light and to be that, that joy to others. I, I honor you for that, and thank you so much for being my guest today. This has been a great show. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a small donation to help the victims around the world receive the help that they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfo teaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. 
go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe, and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here.